Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Now You Know Akron podcast. I am education reporter Jennifer Pinule, filling in today for your usual podcast host extraordinaire, Craig Webb. Today, we are releasing a special podcast following the news of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The invasion has been brewing for some time, but now that it's come to a head, we wanted to hear from a local political and security expert about what's happening, how big of a deal it is, and how it impacts the United States. Dr. Carl Kaltenthaler is a University of Akron professor in the Department of Political Science and a national security expert. He also serves on an advisory group of academics and other experts consulting for the U.S. government on national security issues. I spoke with Dr. Kaltenthaler today, and we're going to play that conversation for you now. Across foreign policy and security experts, what's been sort of the tenor of the last week or so leading up to what happened yesterday the tenor has been pretty pretty glum i mean th- this is a big deal this is a very very destabilizing uh invasion in europe and the, you know to think that this is happening in in this day and age it's it's almost uh it's it's shocking despite us seeing this coming for for a while because of the, you know, the way that the, the Russians have situated their troops, the posture they've taken, the rhetoric coming from Putin and other people in his circle, you know, but it, it, it's it's all very disconcerting because we're we're in a very dangerous time right now. This could completely upend how we thought about peace in Europe and stability in Europe. You know, it's it's. It's got a lot of potential to have knock-on effects that could create really a, a new a new Cold War. But this 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 is even in some ways more problematic than the Cold War because you know I think I think a lot of people thought the Cold War had a degree of stability to it. There there were times when it it would flare up, yeah. but we we pretty much felt like the the Russians weren't going to do anything too crazy destabilizing, or I should say the Soviets, and neither were we. Um, but Putin, Putin seems to be able to risk it all, uh, or he feels like he can risk it all. That's a more accurate way of saying it, because this could very much hurt Russia as well, economically, uh, in in terms of their own security. They're probably not going to be better off from this. They're actually going to be worse off from it. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a, this is a very worrying thing, and I think a good number of us are worried about some of the things we're hearing from political figures in the United States, you know, particularly ones that are praising Putin, that sends a very bad message to the Russians that we're divided. And that's exactly how they want it. Not to be too, like, American-centric here, but, like, you know, what are some of the effects that we could see here, um, you know, or that we have already seen so far or or could see you know, obviously everybody's talking about high gas prices, but right. I mean, are there just general, like, why should we be worried about this? So we should be worried about it because, so there's there's kind of the big picture and then there's the more, you know, here in the U.S. picture. Right. The big picture reasons why we should 
about this is that this kind of aggression, if it isn't unchecked, if it isn't um, punished severely, will likely lead to more aggression, either from the Russians or from other adversaries of the United States. It sets a, pr a precedent where countries think that they can get away with this kind of thing. And that's very problematic because instability is, is not good for, for Americans at home. You know, it affects our markets. It affects prices of goods that we need to have. And, and when they get expensive, it makes our life difficult. You know, but it's, it's also going to have an impact on our economy if the European economy starts tanking because of this. You know, the, the, the world is interconnected. We can't, we can't really put our head in the sand and say it's not an issue that, that matters to us. When Europe is destabilized, that will definitely affect the United States. And so this is definitely an issue that your average American is going to feel a consequence from. Um, they may not know much about Ukraine, they may not know much about Russia, but they, they will feel the consequences of this economically. It's going to become part of our political dialogue in the country. So I think Americans are going to get a, a, a wake-up call on Ukraine, and, and you know they're going, to, they're going to learn about it whether they want to or not, just because it is going to be such a dominant issue for a while. Yeah, so I mean, even leading up to yesterday, did were you hopeful? I mean, hopeful, sure, but were you, I guess, optimistic about some sort of diplomatic no. solution? No, no, um, no, because I've been following this very, very closely, mm -hmm. and all the signs were pointing at large-scale invasion. Yeah. Um, in fact, for for more than a couple weeks, that's that's been what they've been pointing to. So by, by Monday, I was absolutely convinced that there was going to be a, a large-scale invasion, yeah. that it wasn't even going to be a, a kind of limited invasion. Uh, and it's not because I have a crystal ball or anything. It's just I have, I have many data points that I can look at, and they were all pointing in the same direction, and everybody who was really following this pretty yeah. closely was saying the same thing. <clears throat> well, there was all the false flag propaganda about, you know... Yeah, and I'm pretty used because yeah. I've, I've actually done work for the State Department on Russian disinformation. Mm. I did this back in the, uh, was it 2014, 2015? You know, after the first invasion of Ukraine, right. the Russians started to really amp up the disinformation. And it was catching the United States kind of flat-footed because we didn't know how to really deal with it. Uh, in some ways, in some parts of the world where it was really working. The Russians were convincing publics that their narrative was the correct one. And so, uh, you know, I did that project for State, and then I've kind of followed it a little bit since then. And I did, I did another project for the SMA, which I was talking about a minute ago with you last year on countering disinformation. It was a very strategic level thing. So it wasn't just Russia. It was kind of Russia, China other adversaries. And so, you know, it is something I pay attention to, and it's just mind-boggling how much disinformation gets piped into our media system, and people aren't aware of it. Not, mm -hmm. not to say, like, a newspaper like the Akron Beacon Journal, but, you know, uh, you see, like, uh, in social media and stuff like that, where people are repeating almost verbatim things that I can tell are from foreign sources and they're meant to be disinformation. So it, it, it is something that's very 
it's it's a it's something the Russians pay a lot of attention to. They've actually gotten pretty good at it. But the amount of nonsense that was coming out of the Kremlin for the last month and such obviously contradictory things, uh, it was you know it's like okay, they're clearly trying to confuse people as to what their intentions are. Don't listen to what they're say saying. Focus on what they're doing mm-hmm. and what the things that they were doing were put pretty clearly pointing to invasion. Yeah. Do we have a significant uh, Ukrainian expat population here? In the United States? Uh, yeah, in the United States, Akron, Ohio. You know, I, I, I know they're <clears throat> definitely, I would say significant, yeah. Significant in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you the exact numbers, but this is just based on me living here for a while. Yeah. I have run into a lot of Ukrainian Americans. So yeah, there there is a significant population here. There's also a significant number of, of Russians. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of curious how that'll play out because, you know, that could get rough sometimes. Um, but yeah, there is a significant Ukrainian population here. And I can only imagine what they're going through worrying about family and friends that they've got back uh, in Ukraine that are yeah. going through hell right now. Yeah, I think there are... Some people playing some significant catch up all of a sudden, right. um, you know, who are who are trying to make heads of it and trying to think, figure out what are we, what do we know about the U.S. response so far, and you know what else it might end up including. So the U.S. response has been to make it very clear that the U.S. condemns the invasion, that the U.S. is working in unity with its NATO allies to respond to this and to sanction the Russians uh, as, as swiftly and as uh, in a punishing, punishing manner as possible so that the Russians stop their aggression. And if they don't stop their aggression, they're going to pay such a heavy price that they won't think about uh, engaging in this type of aggression mm-hmm. again. So these, these are some pretty punishing sanctions that are being introduced. Uh, it'll make it very difficult for Russia to operate in the international economy. And Russia is uh, it's integrated into the international economy, so this is really going to hurt them. There's no question about it. And it really, to me, raises the question where the average Russian is going to look at this invasion, you know, even after being doused with years and years of propaganda from state-owned media about the threat from Ukraine is, is really, you know, was Ukraine so threatening we had to invade it and now we're paying such a heavy price for mm-hmm. it? You know, it's not, it's not just the economic cost to Russia. It's when the body bags start coming back and people start raising the question, you know, was it, was it worth it for our, our young men to die there? And one thing that's, that's important to keep in mind is that while Russia may may or may not, it, it remains to be seen, but I think it's more likely than not, win the conventional war, you know, in the, into the not-too-distant future, they're going to face an insurgency in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be costly. And that also can be destabilizing for Europe. But, you know, that really raises the stakes for Russia as to whether this is going to be worth it for them. I... I strongly believe that this really had nothing to do with a threat to Russian security. The 
And I think right. Putin, Putin made, made it pretty clear that this is about really bruised Russian ego that the Soviet Union fell apart and the Russian conception of an empire fell apart with it. And Russia was kind of relegated to being a, a second tier power. Yeah, but I mean, that didn't a, happen yesterday, you know? I mean, we're talking no, did, end of the Cold War, and then we're talking eight years ago, right? <laughs> like, yeah, the question is, why now? Right. I mean, I think that's that's a really important question to ask and answer. And it, it may simply be that Putin thinks, okay, now we're strong enough to do it. That, mm-hmm. that we've, we've come back enough, uh, you know, militarily, because the Russian military was in tatters for a very long time. They've come back enough, and they figure, okay, if, if not now, you know, why not? We've got what we need, and maybe we can pull this off. It, you know, it, it, it's so hard to figure out what's going on in Vladimir Putin's head. Uh, you know, even his own people who are his advisors don't know. Uh, he's notoriously difficult to read. Uh, but one thing we do know for sure is that he has never gotten over the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he has stated that many times, and it's one of the constants that comes out of his mouth, and it seems to a great degree to be what motivates him as a leader of Russia to to rectify that situation. So that's how I view this, and I don't, that's not a an uncommon view. It's I think it's it's probably the the majority view yeah. on people who look at the security situation. I read this article, um, which I know all great like pontifications start with that. But um, I, I read this article about like that the the U.S. could have put a stop to this just by acknowledging the fact that Ukraine is never going to be part of NATO, not necessarily like capitulating to the demand that they don't, but just saying like realistically, no, they're not going to be able to to join NATO. Like, would that like is there any basis in that being like if we had just not died on this hill, metaphorically speaking, of... Yeah, know. but that's that's kind of <clears throat> buying into the arguments that this was really about security. Right, and okay. And I, you know, like I just told you, I don't, I don't buy that argument. Um, then there would have been some other, other demand pretext, to come right. from the Russians. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at what the Russians' demand were, demands have been for NATO, it's not just NATO that um, doesn't expand into Ukraine, it's that NATO basically moves back to its 1990 status. So you, you, these are these are crazy demands, and they know they're not going to be met. And if if the United States says no, we're not going to allow a country like Ukraine to join NATO, so we're undermining the self determination of Ukraine, and more importantly, it violates the the NATO treaty. The, the you know the the language of the treaty says if countries want to join NATO, they can. Russia could have joined NATO. Mm-hmm. Instead of joining NATO, Russia decided to take, you know, a very hostile posture. But, you know, I ask myself, when did Russia start taking that very hostile posture? They started taking that very hostile posture towards NATO when you started to have color revolutions in the former Soviet states, you know, in Ukraine, in Georgia. And they saw that democracy was spreading and these democracies were pro-Western because, you know, what did Putin represent to them? Putin represented dictatorship, 
you know, kind of Russian domination. And so to me, the, 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 the real issue here was that not only had Russia lost its empire, but the former states of the empire were saying, we really reject your model and we want to look west. Yeah. What do we think comes comes next? I mean, are we do, is it is it clear by this point we're talking? I mean, it seems obviously the you know it's just a peacekeeping thing, and then the it's just a small you know military action thing was ridiculous. Um, but you know, do we have a sense yet of the scale of this thing or the purpose? Like, what's like what's the end game here? Do we so know yet? Based on. on- <laughs> what our intelligence is saying and this is you know open source obviously the this is being reported in mm-hmm. the media that this is assessed to be a, a full-out invasion to uh, conquer Ukraine topple the government replace it with another government mm-hmm. so this is not a limited incursion this is not one where you know they go in a hundred miles they teach the Ukrainians a lesson and then they leave but this is meant to to fully Return in in Putin's language, Ukraine into uh, a union with Russia. So what that'll mean? That's that's not completely clear. You know, will will the Russians say Ukraine doesn't exist anymore? It becomes part of Russia, or does it still keep its name Ukraine, but it's part of a union with the Russians, uh, which they're talking about with the Belarusians as well. You know, these these are all things we don't really have a good answer to. And then there's the other issue, which I don't think, you know, we, we should ignore because I think it's going to become a major issue in the in the near term, and that is the Ukrainian insurgency. So what what is Russian occupation going to look like? Because they're not going to be able to just knock out the government in Kiev, and then all of a sudden you're going to have complacent Ukrainians. That's absolutely not going to happen. So, yeah, th- this... This is going to go on for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, NATO's kind of a tough choice to make here because NATO will have to decide how actively it wants to help the Ukrainian insurgency. And, that, you know, there's good reasons to do it, but there's also good reasons to be wary of doing that because the Russians will clearly retaliate against NATO if mm-hmm. they do that. <clears throat> Which includes uh, us. And Putin, I know this has become kind of cliche. <laughs> Putin only really understands force and threat. He 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 will have to pay a very heavy price if he, you know, say for example, he launches major cyber attacks against Europe mm-hmm. if they're supporting a Ukrainian insurgency. You know, there would have to be really significant costs then to Russia for doing that beyond sanctions, maybe retaliatory cyber attacks or something else. Um, so that's why I'm saying this is destabilizing, it can escalate. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to see Europe just say, NATO just say, Ukraine's gone, you know, we're, we're just washing our hands of it and, you know, Putin got what he wanted. Because that is going to send panic into the hearts of all the other Eastern Europeans. For you know, sure. If I was a Pole right now, I'd be very, very worried. If I was a Lithuanian, Estonian, uh, Latvian, I'd be very worried right now. Well, then Not that I'm saying invasion of those countries is imminent, yeah. but, you know, the, the what if, you know, that's... Well, right, if the, precedent, if the precedent is set... 
But, you know, again, and it's it's it is tricky because Ukraine is is not part of NATO. So the obligation there on the dot is not there on a dotted line. But you you sort of have to ask yourself if you're NATO right in a um, what is what is the spirit of this of this organization? Right. It's to stop exactly this kind of aggression. And I don't know, it's 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 hard to sort of think of saying like, ah, yeah, you don't really pay into NATO, though. So we're not going to come for you when that, you know, when it's not like that would stop there there you know like right it is hard to imagine that uh, but it also is sort of hard to imagine them like invoking what is it, article five to like yeah you know a full-on okay pulling that trigger we've we've always said it's there <laughs> right right and then you know there's there's the big worry that that invocation of or invocation yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, so whatever. Uh, Article five um, leads to an escalation that could mean nuclear exchange, right. and so yeah, the NATO thing. I think yeah, the Russians would be concerned about triggering an, an Article five scenario, but Putin, Putin, you know, he's got he's got this you know thing with well, are they willing to go to nuclear war over this? Because he you know he just threatened that. I believe this morning or yesterday he did. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know. One of my students brought up, you know, maybe he's got a terminal illness and he just thinks I'm going to, I'm going to toss all the dice on the table and see where they land. (laughs) I hope that's not true. Um, But boy, he's taking a big risk. Yeah. Again, I just got to like, the end game here is just fascinating to me of like, what exactly do you think is like how does this end well for you you know (laughs) i know and and all those people are saying well you know we brought this on ourselves because we threatened russian security by not guaranteeing that nato uh or that uh, ukraine will join nato well somebody needs to explain to me how russia becomes more secure after this it just makes absolutely no sense that's why to me this is not about security. I mean, it's one of many reasons why I believe that, but you know, NATO is going to be extremely unified by this and much more vigilant and probably much more heavily armed and bunched up on the border of the eastern flank of NATO now. And that doesn't make Russia more secure. And they've just, they've just activated a, a probably, you know, severe period, a prolonged period of tension with uh, with a significant amount of the world. How does that make Russia more secure? So I just, you know, that just doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, yeah. if you wanted to dissolve, to dissolve NATO, giving it its one purpose exactly. <laughs> exactly. is not exactly a good argument for ending NATO. Like, get, like really giving it, a, having it pull its one, tri- its one job, its one job to right, do, exactly. right? Yeah. Having it but do its one. To unify NATO is create a very big threat. And yeah. that's exactly what they did. Yeah, it just seems a little counterintuitive, but um, there was this image last night. I just couldn't stop watching CNN last night. Um, There was this image of people had come out at like, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something. There were like, you know, six or seven of them and they just kneeled down in their little town square and just held hands. And it was just like the most sad 
image I think I could think of. Just these people who like, they can hear the bombs in the background. They don't know exactly what's coming, but they know it's coming and they just know that it's going to be really bad. So are we, do we expect, I mean, Akron is a place that has accepted many refugees over the years. Is this, you know, the thing that ends up leading to a lot of Ukrainian uh, immigration and refugees and displaced people? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's really hard to predict that where they would get settled. I mean, typically they get settled where there are other Ukrainians. I mean, if well, that's a multi-year process to actually resettle refugees, but it is. It is. People who have um, the ability to just leave may just leave. Although I don't know if those people have already done that by now. But if you had the ability to go, if you already did, or if you said, "No, we get this kind of threat all the time. I'm not going anywhere," <laughs> you know. That um, a lot of the Ukrainians who are leaving the country are going into Poland, which makes sense. It's right next door. And some of them are thinking temporarily they'll stay there. Let's see how things play out. But a lot of them want to go further west to Germany because they know life conditions there are better, um, that kind of thing. There's a significant, I think much larger actually, Ukrainian community in Canada. Uh, And Canada has been recently much more receptive of of refugees than the United States has Mm -hmm. been. So I could see the Canadians take on quite a few Ukrainians who, who... who may want to get out of Europe or, yeah. or can't get asylum in Europe or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's clearly going to be a, a refugee crisis. There's no question about it. Yeah, I heard today, too, that Russians have now now have control of Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't know what they can do with it, but, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not a major strategic... Yeah, I do, them, it's, so. it's sort of a, more of a... A cultural name that is known, right? Right, but, right. Yeah, but you know, it's it's between them and Kiev, so that's that's why it matters. Mm, so okay. that's they're on their way to Kiev. Yeah, you know, it's really we we think of these things as so far away, and they're really not. You know, no, 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 so. not at all. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a. I'm sure there's a lot of people now in Akron who are desperately trying to find out information about their their family members back in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel horrible for them. Yeah. Really do. 